Good morning, family. Yeah, so today we're meeting online. Um, we, we, whether we meet in person, face-to-face, or we meet online, we know the power of God's word is powerful, and we will always, always be impacted. It's always, it's always beneficial to meet in person, but on this occasion, uh, we just have to do this as I'm permitted by the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right. So um, today I want today is a part nine of this teaching, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So today I'll be talking about the walking, the gift of the walking of miracles, the walking of miracles. Uh, I'd like us to say a quick word of prayer before we, I jump into it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for another time of fellowship to be strengthened in your word. And Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that our eyes of understanding will be enlightened, that we'll have a clearer understanding of your word. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll be able to separate uh, lies and deceptions from the truth and hold on to the truth mm-hmm. in the name of the Lord Jesus. As we understand better um, the, the, the topic, the teachings, or the subject of the gift of the Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. For in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So the gifts... Of the working of miracles. Now, First uh, Corinthians twelve has been our major um, chapter and book since we started uh, teaching this, uh, since we started this series, and then we we've categorized the gift of the Spirit into three categories: uh, revelation gift, power gift, or trans gift. Revelation gift are word of wisdom, word of knowledge, the sign of spirit, and these are the and these are the um, these are the three that we, we started with by teaching on. And now we're going into power gift. We've looked at the gift of faith. And then today we'll be looking at the working of miracles. Yeah, so uh, because of our time, I won't go back into the First Corinthians 12 for us to read again. But starting from verse 7 all the way down to, I think, 13 or 14, you, you know, we see where the Bible, uh, Apostle Paul, listed those gift of the spirit and like Jeremy was leading us in prayer today the gift of the spirit is to help one another as a prophet of all it's not to call attention to ourselves it's not to make name it's not to you know uh not to make a celebrity out of us amen so in um in the light of that we'll be looking at um, the gift of um, working on miracles today now last week i talked about the gift of faith you know supernatural um, supernatural ability to hold on to God's promises to receive a miracle. So it's not like the uh, general faith whereby you, or simple faith, where you hold on to God's word to see the word of God come to pass. Most of the time, that would take some time to see result, right? But when it comes to miracle, most of the time in miracles, the result of miracle is instantaneous. The result of miracles most of the time are instantaneous. So if a person is on their deathbed, right, it is a miracle for that person to be raised from that deathbed and to start walking and have strength and can run. But if we're to be healing, somebody holding on to God's word through uh, general simple faith, what will actually happen is that, you know, when as they hold on to God's word, their body begins to heal, they begin to practice, to stand up, to walk and stuff like that. But a miracle the power of God hit, hit, the, I mean, hit them, something happens and they, they, they stand up. So that's a kind of miracle. So there's a difference between gift of faith and gift of working of miracles. So gift of faith is a supernatural ability to hold on to God's word to receive a miracle. But working of miracles is actually releasing God's word to experience the miracle. So working of miracles is actually doing the miracles. 
Right. So the working of miracles is on the active side. The gift of faith is on the passive side. So you hold on to God's word. You believe God's word. You know, you, you can see in the spirit that what God wants to do, a miracle he wants to do, then you hold on to God's word. You believe that God's going to do this and then you have to hold on to it. We see the miracle. And the gift of faith encourages the body of Christ, you know, to be stronger in our faith in God and, and stuff like that. But working on miracles is when a person, by the power of the Holy Ghost, knows there's something God wants to do. It might even be in a crisis and the spirit the word of God. I mean, the, the, the power of God is flowing through them. Let's put it that way. So the gift of faith you are receiving, the power, uh, the gift of working on miracles, the power of God is flowing through you as you speak the word of God, as you make certain declarations, we see things happen. Amen. Many times you may see that operate in the life of the speaker, maybe the preacher, the prophet kind of stuff. But that does not mean that it's only the ministry gift that manifests or that, yeah, that manifests the working of miracles. Any believer can, right? As, we read, as we've read in the book of um, First Corinthians 12, you know, in previous weeks, we can see from the Bible that this, is, this gift is not restricted to a few. It's for everyone. It can manifest in anyone based on the need, where it is needed. Amen. So that's the major difference between the gift of faith and the working of miracles. Gift of faith is passive, is receiving miracles, holding onto God's work to receive. And working on miracles is when you actually experience the power of God to walk through you. And as you release and speak the word of God, you know, the power of God is released and we receive a miracle. Amen. So looking at my notes here, what I have is, is so the gift, work, uh, the working of miracles, you know, it's the power of God flowing through a person as it speaks a word and the, the miraculous occur. You know, the, the working of miracles is bringing the power of God to the natural scene, bringing the power of God into the natural scene. So we're about to get into the exciting part of the show. Amen, of this service. Amen, so this is performance. Now, what is a miracle? So this is where I'm going to guess I need somebody to speak. What is a miracle? And before I go for that, I just want to say some things, guys. I'll start challenging. You guys have been with me for some time now. I'll start challenging you bit by bit uh, because I can perceive that God is doing something in us and we need to, he wants us to move to the next phase. As I go come back to the UK, a few things is going to move, a few things are going to change. And I want to encourage you guys, it's time for us to be on our feet. It's like time for us to, some of you guys have been following me for the past two years. Some of you guys maybe longer. Uh, at this point in time, I don't know where it's coming from. I feel God speaking to you guys now. At this point in time, we will not, not we will no longer be acting like um, we will no longer be passive, right? So we need to be firm. We need to be soldiers. We need to stand our ground. We need to be ready and willing to move. Amen. We must be ready and willing to move. Now, gone are the days that. I might be calling you saying to, saying to someone, um, okay, will you lead prayer on Friday? I, I have every authority and right to call you and tell you on Friday that I want to lead prayer on Saturday or Saturday for Sunday. Yes, I want everyone to start getting that. I don't know where this is coming from. I believe God is speaking to us. God wants us to move. God wants us to take step. God wants us to advance. God is, God is quickening us to the soldiers. No more passivity. Now, what makes Many Christians because become casual, casualties is the passiveness of their Christian approach. No, I mean, the passiveness, the casual approach of Christianity. I, I, I was going through some challenges a few days ago, and the Holy Spirit said to me, Sunday, if only your eyes can be open to see the war that is raging around you and how the enemy is so fierce to take you out. If only your eyes can be open to see that. 
I spent some time praying this morning and a lot of storm just kind of like calm, just like that. I was looking at myself in the mirror. I was like, really? Just by praying for like one hour, 15 minutes, everything just went calm. Amen. So um, I'll be doing you uh, this service. I'll be doing you harm if I don't push you. Yeah, if I don't kick you and say, you know, I just, something just coming up in my spirit to say, you know what, we need to put an end to passivity. You know, we are not joking. Now, the thing is, is, the moment you give your life to Christ, the moment you become a child of God and you want to work with God, that day, like Andromeda, you draw a, that, you draw a target on your back and the enemy is aiming at you. Now, this is not to scare you. This is not to scare anyone, but just to tell you the reality of the realm of the spirit. Amen. So we got to start sitting on sitting tight as soldiers of Christ. Amen. And um, as God opens the door, as we as we as I corporate with God and more people throw in, uh, you may notice that probably I will not give attention to some people like I normally do anymore, because I'm going to be as sensitive as possible. Whoever God says this person is ready, wants to go, those are the people I have to work with. So it's not that I'm neglecting someone, but with some things that God has been showing me in the past one or two weeks now as to how critical my assignment is, how critical. Uh, the role of this church is in this hand time and some things that God has been showing me, I will be moving as swift as possible. And God is going to be working with people whose, whose heart is ready and who are willing. So what I'm trying to say is I won't beg anybody again. No. Trust me. And I mean it. I get to me. So I don't know where that came from. I believe God speaking to someone, right? Uh, go interpret that to you guys as we carry on. Amen. So let me come back to this realm of the natural. Uh, that's a word of knowledge for someone there, uh, for, for you guys. I don't know what you guys are doing, but I think sometimes, this is me speaking, sometimes because we think we are few, uh, we just like, you know, you know, you know, this is a time for preparation. This is time to really ground ourselves because nobody, nobody becomes a success overnight. You know, many people crash because they have so-called overnight success. And because they do not have the ability, they have not developed the ability to handle that success. Yeah, many people crash. Now, one of the reasons why many businesses fail, they crash is because they scaled up too quickly. They grew, they expanded too quickly without having the capacity. So most of the time, when people see a church to be successful is when they see the numbers. But what you see, what you see most of the time is that you do not see that many times you see a church that has many numbers, but you, what you cannot see, you cannot see a dead church. Many churches with big numbers are dead, ineffective, and, um, and they, are, they have become a cocoon, a platform for demons to operate, and demons are operating freely. Because many times the pastors and the leadership are not trained, are not developed to handle those people. Why did I take my time? Why did I slow down? Why did I, did I not allow a lot of people to come in? Why did I not go all out and do a lot of publicity when we started? Because I knew that we needed to grow capacity, develop strength, develop stamina, learn, practice, develop systems. Amen. And you guys are so privileged to be part of this. But at the same time, God is warning us this morning that if you don't wake up, if you don't stand up, I'm going to get people in and I'm going to work with people who is available and who wants to work. Amen. You can tell that's not in my notes, but I, I'm just going to pause there because I believe God is speaking to someone and he's going to give us understanding in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, so uh, I've differentiated between the gift of faith and the working of miracles. 
Now, because I've taken, because I've had uh, some word of knowledge and to bless you guys there, I will have to skip this next process. I was going to get you guys to talk to me, but let's move on. So let's look at this gift of the working of miracle. The gift of the working of miracle. Now, what is a miracle? What is a miracle? Now, a few dish definitions from the uh, from dictionary. So, uh, okay, let me skip that one. I need to move ahead a little bit quicker. Now, I took a few definitions from Papa Akin's note. It says supernatural intervention in the ordinary course of nature. Supernatural, beyond the natural intervention or involvement in the ordinary course of nature. So if you look at that definition, we're talking about something beyond the natural, stepping into the natural disrupting the natural order of things. Amen. The ordinary course of nature. So another definition has is a, is a supernatural act in the natural realm. So I'm going by the spiritual meaning of miracles as opposed to dictionary. I'll still give you guys some dictionary definition to help our understanding. So a miracle is a supernatural act in the natural realm. A supernatural act in the natural realm. Now, a miracle is different from the gift of working of miracles. So when I was preparing for this meeting, God opened my eyes and said, he wants me to demystify and, and trash this mindset of working in miracles. Guys, so many of the things I teach you are not even for you, but for you to understand so that you can stand your ground, you can stand firm as you go out and do your work. Don't forget the role of a pastor is to train you, is to develop you, is to equip you to do the works of the ministry. I guess me. My role is to train you. So what I teach you guys on Sunday and the things I put together for you guys is not just for you to use on Sunday or for you to hear on Sunday, but so that you can apply it in your life so that you can stand your ground in the face of deception and lies when you step out. Amen. So a miracle, so supernatural act in the natural realm. So let's look at what does supernatural mean? So I'm going to get into the dictionary here. What does supernatural mean? Now, Oxford defines supernatural as a manifestation or event attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. So in common language, in common English, an event, a manifestation, something that happened that is attributed or that is caused, but not by science or by the force of nature. Now, the enemy walking through scientists, trying to trivialize the power of God and to declare God's power that God does not exist, they will try to scientifize every supernatural occurrence. I once had a pastor, I think I was reading a blog article, and the guy said, Jesus turning water into wine is not a miracle. And he tried to explain something that something scientifically that happened for the water to turn to wine. And then um, the passing of the Red Sea, many miracles in the Bible, science, you know, evil people try to explain it out with science. The truth is this, when they try to use a science that you do not know, that they cannot prove, and because maybe you're not a science student, when they try to, thank you, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit said, this is one of the reasons why you must be very careful who you listen to. 
you must be very careful who you listen to. Some people, by God's grace, they have sound pastors, sound teachers. They have not even ingested and digested the teaching from their church. They are listening to all manner of rubbish on YouTube. And you now wonder why they are not effective in church or in their Christian work. One of the guys that I led to Christ, one of the reasons why that guy is not stable today is because he has this appetite to hear all manner of junk and evil on YouTube. I can't help him. I led him to Christ. I have a church. I, I booked time to, you know, have a one-to-one with him. But he just liked that YouTube thing. You know, he, you know he, one of the problems he had when I was talking, speaking, speaking to him last time was that, no, 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 I went to a church. And the woman was, the woman is a pastor. He didn't sit well with me. And I'm thinking, am I not the one who led you to Christ? Am I not the one who taught you? These were things in my mind. I didn't tell him that. Am I not the one who told you, who taught you about the grace, the goodness, and the kindness of God? You know, and I'm just thinking my mind like, and I'm telling you, showing scriptures that this is what the word of God says. And it was like, you know, I just left him. I'd rather go back on the street and, and fish for as many people as possible. And hoping that I'll get some whose heart wants to hear the truth than to sit down with a few. I've done this for two years or t- for two years now, which is, I would say, maybe a mistake, but not a mistake to some extent because it, you learn the process. One of the lessons I've learned now, which I'm going to pass on to other pastors who are, because some pastors are now connecting with me and trying to learn from me, is I understand we want to learn, but sometimes we just have to really go out, all out to you know, um, invite people in. But there's a way you have to balance things so that you don't have too much and you are not able to learn and grow. I guess. And so this guy, he just listens to every, he has this appetite for all manner of nonsense on YouTube. And he's getting confused. So as long as anybody has an appetite to hear all manner of nonsense from people that you cannot verify their source. Can I put this way? See this way. Now, if you're watching or listening to someone on YouTube, have you taken your time to understand their route? To see where are they coming from? Do you take the Bible and compare what the Bible says with what they are saying? Or you just listen? Don't forget, it's not just for you. You have to be able to confidently challenge other believers, even in your household, who, who, who are into all these ungodly practices. Amen. So, the supernatural exists. God is God. He's supernatural. He's not an ordinary human being. Right. So, that's supernatural. So, what's his nature? Don't forget, the Bible, no, not the Bible. Dictionary says that, you know, a manifestation of an event that is not attributed to science or the false laws of nature. Hmm. So some, it's telling us that way. There's nature, there's science, I get me, and there's a supernatural, there's something that transcends nature and science, right? So what is nature itself? So nature, simply put, what you can see, what you can taste, what you can hear, what you can feel. That's nature. <laughs> Simply put, what you can see, what you can taste, what you can hear. So let me give us an a, a Oxford definition here. It says, the phenomena, that's the thing about this big English, the phenomena of the physical world collectively, including plants, animals, the landscape, and the features and products of the earth as opposed to human creation. So now when we're talking about nature here, we're talking about not what human beings created, but the things that God created himself that you can see, you can hear, you can taste, you can feel, you can smell. And some things you can smell actually are the food that, um, like banana bread, when somebody's 
baking banana bread in their oven. That's some things that you smell, right? So I would like call that part of nature, right? Um, what is a what does Jasmine cook again? When Jasmine cook, have you heard of something that she cooks? Because sometimes when you eh eh pork, uh, pork too is part of nature. Or sometimes what you smell. So what you smell sometimes <laughs> pork and then some season. Amen. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Ho, when the cakes of excellence, big cake. You see, you know, you, you see what I'm talking about. Amen. So nature. So we have the supernatural. We have science. We have nature. So we're looking at supernatural and nature. Let's carry on. It's kind of hot here because the AC is kind of low, but let's carry on. We'll get there. Now, let's look at some accounts of miracles in the Bible. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Fine. I get miracle accounts in the Bible. Now, this is going to be interesting and exciting. Going to the Old Testament, right, before the coming, before Jesus. How many of you guys read about the story of the pattern of Red Sea? The pattern of Red Sea. Now, how was the Red Sea parted? Exodus chapter 14. How was it parted? This guy, you know, stretched his hand. Moses, God asked him to stretch his hand over the sea and it parted. Dry land came out. Instantly, and the wall. Thank you, Rich. And the walls of the water stood still overnight, allowing all the children of Israel to travel on dry land. Instantly. Don't forget what miracles. Working on miracles usually bring forth instantaneous results, as opposed to you know general simple faith, whereby you hold on to God's word and gradually you see results. Right? Because it's the Red Sea. I don't know if there's any technology to pack the Red Sea to allow, I can't remember how many people were in the children of Israel. Millions of people took travel on foot. Right. And what happened? The guy acted on the instruction of an angel. I'll put it that way. He acted. He did what God, in a sense, asked him to do. Held on to that word. Did it. And the sea parted. That's a miracle. That is a walking of miracle. Instruction to boom, and even miracles in the old testament is even different from working the, the gift of working on miracles in the new testament because in the new testament it's about the operation of the gift. So, sorry, I think I, I, I did a mix up there. So, I'm giving account of miracles in the old testament. Um, I'm gonna come to working on miracles uh, later on. So, that was a miracle. The guy, you know, stretched the, um, the hand over the water and he patted. Right, Exodus 14, 21, 22, you find more there. Now, have you guys read of um, the guys in the, um, I don't think you guys know that the best waffle ever in the universe was what the children of Israel ate when they were leaving Egypt. Tenny, maybe you want to, you want to request for that waffle. Does Tenny like waffle? Yeah. The children of Israel, they ate waffles. They're, they're, serving, they're serving waffles in this hotel. But because they have so much sugar, I, I, the woman has been looking at me, I've been looking at it. Mm. And I look away. I refuse to be tempted. You know, there's some, this is where I use my spiritual authority. Woman look at me too, I look at you. Amen. But I will not eat you because I'm not ready to die young. Hallelujah. Amen. So, but the waffle that this guy's head is sophisticated, is from above. Mm. It's not the one that they have used all manner of sugar to, you know, to make. Amen. So, Exodus tells us about um, Exodus chapter 16, how um, manna from heaven, they call it, and quails, those guys had quails, birds, like 
the house is even better than the chicken and talking coming to them at night so waffle comes in the morning quiz come at night man so yeah every night wow this is great amen right so but i really kept the coming of the the release of the manor you know it wasn't something they worked for they just you know God just supernaturally provided food for this guy mm. as they went through the wilderness. And at night, I don't know where all those birds came from. You know, they say this, they say now in these days that there is um, global warming. Some species are dying. But what I know is this, God's creative ability, and God is so amazing. So fishes can come from somewhere and they will just team up in the river. So when they're talking about global warming, that the world is dying, don't allow them to fool you. Where is your own trust and confidence in the supernatural ability of God? Amen. Mm. Right. So there's an example of miracles in the Bible, passing of the Red Sea, Exodus 14, you know, um, Exodus 16, the supply of manna and uh, meat. Now, if you look at the life of Jesus coming to the book of the New Testament, the book, not the New Testament, just the book of the New Testament, John chapter 2, which we had an account of Jesus turned water into wine. Now, okay, let's read that so we have something to reference to. John chapter 2. Let's read from John 2. Uh, 7. So this was a story of a wedding at Cana, and these guys ran out of wine. And for, you know, for the groom and the bride not to be embarrassed, in a sense, you know, Jesus had to help them out here. And this is an example of the gift of working on miracles. So let me be clear. Jesus exercised, manifested the nine gifts of the spirit. Now, someone may say, but well, it is Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. But the Bible tells us that, that Jesus laid aside his majesty, his power. I think that's Philippians 2. He laid aside his majesty, his power, every supernatural, every of his majesty, he laid him aside. And he came into this world as a normal human being. And you can see that in the Bible, the first record of any miracle that Jesus did was after he had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That tells us that it is the Holy Ghost given to us at new birth that produces or manifests the gift of the Spirit in us. So if a person is not born again and they have not received the Spirit of God, I wonder what they are manifesting. Certainly, they are not manifesting the gift of the Spirit. Some people, when it comes to the word of knowledge, in a sense, you know, a type of word of knowledge, many people operate with familiar spirit. You know, spirits will know things about people, and um, demons are around, spirits are around, and people can, anybody can yield themselves to familiar spirit. Anybody, pastors, prophet, anybody can yield themselves to familiar spirit. If they don't focus on doing things the way things should be done, focus on Christ, teaching the word of God. If they want to show off or want to perform a show, right, they are likely to yield to familiar spirit. Right? So, Anybody who is not born again and is telling you things about your life, they are not operating by the Spirit of God. Because if you don't have the Spirit of God, how would you know what the Spirit of God is saying? You can't. The Spirit of God shows us stuff, right? You know, reviews a fact in the mind of God. And you don't have the Spirit of God. So whatever you say is not from the Spirit of God. Amen. Mm. Let's carry on. 
so Genesis, John, no, John chapter two, verse seven. So these guys ran out of wine and Jesus was trying to help them out here. And then it says, verse seven, it said, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the ceremony or master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he called, this is um, NIV. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guest have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Amen. And his disciples believed in him. So that was the first miracle. And that miracle was after Jesus was baptized by the Holy Ghost, went into the wilderness and came out. And came out. Amen. So Jesus came in a normal human being. And Jesus came to demonstrate the kind of life that you and I should live. That's why I said to us in the book of John chapter 14, verse 12, he said, if you believe in me, the works that I do shall you also do. Greater works than this shall you do because I go to my father. Amen. So Jesus turned water into wine. Another miracle that Jesus did was in the book of John chapter 6, where he fed 5,000 men plus children and women. So they had five loaves of bread and two fishes. And Jesus gave thanks, broke it, bro broke the bread, you know, and gave it to his disciples. And disciples went to give it out to other people. So there was a continuous supply of bread and fish. I don't understand how that works. You know, it's like, it's like the bread that they were breaking and distributing was not finishing. As they were breaking, it, the, I don't understand. The, I think the bread just remained as it is. And they were breaking and the bread was not changing, was not changing the size. Jesus did so much work that they made. Amen. And his disciples. So that was a miracle. So that was Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, if you look at, I read different, um, I think the, the, the one in Mark chapter 6. Is it Mark chapter 6? I can't remember now. The Bible says that, uh, so Jesus is going to feed us, you know, he saw those guys. They were helpless. I mean, he said the Bible says they were like sheep without shepherd. And, um, you know, he started teaching them and realized that they were hungry and he fed them. Right. So Jesus saw that people were hungry and he fed them. What I'm trying to say is this. Now, Jesus did not do that miracle to draw attention to himself. He saw a need. He performed the miracle to feed the people so they don't die. Amen. So uh, that's two examples of miracles. So, I gave us two, uh, two or three examples in the Old Testament, in the book of the Old Testament, passing of the Red Sea, supply of food, you know, in the wilderness, not from the kitchen. Uh, then Jesus turned water into wine, just ordinary water, give an instruction. And then um, in the 5,000 people that he fed. So those are examples of um, miracles. Now, what God wants me to clarify to people is this, that um, believers are not meant to live their life on miracles. We had a song, I believe in you, I believe in you, you're the God of miracles, I believe in you. 
Yeah, we believe in God is a God of miracles, but He does not want us to live by miracles or from miracles to miracles. Now, according to our definition of miracle, you know, miracle, miracle, miracles involve a suspension of the natural order. So there must be crisis. There must be a problem. Crisis most of the time. And when the children of Israel were going up, you know, they were going to cross the Red Sea. You know, if they had not crossed the Red Sea, the Egyptians would have caught up with them and killed them. You know, if they had not been supernaturally provided food in the wilderness and meat, they would have died. Right? If wine, if water was not turned to wine in that uh, at the wedding of Canaan, the you know people would have had no wine to drink. Embarrassment for the couple. Are you getting me? So there must be a crisis. There must be something that. There must be an event or a situation whereby if God does not step in, right, we are in problem. But God does not want that to be our lifestyle. So some people, they will say things like, ah, there's no miracles in this church. There are no miracles. <laughs> I'm thinking of how best to say this. Mm, Lord, help me. Well, we'll have miracles in our midst, but there's some miracles I don't want to see. Because I would rather that the Holy Ghost tell me ahead of time and we position ourselves with take step as opposed to then believing God for a miracle for someone's life. So if a man or a woman takes their job very seriously and they go to job, to work when they're supposed to go to work, you know, learn and stuff like that, right? They will not need, they may not be fired. And I'm not saying people, people don't get fired. People can be fired because of um, political reasons at work, in the workplace. And they may have something coming up. In that case, we need a miracle because it's not something that they created. It's not, some, it's not something caused by them. But some things can be avoided. That's what I'm trying to say. If a problem or situation can be avoided, I'd rather the Holy Ghost tells me and I avoid the situation as opposed to them praying that God will do a miracle to get us out of the problem. Amen. So God does not want us to live a miracle-centered life. I'll give you an example. Now, let's look at... Um, Joshua is a long way down there. Joshua 5, 10 to 12. Joshua 5, 10 to 12. So this is NIV. So I'm going to read from here. Joshua 5, 10 to 12. Now, on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. Watch this. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was, there was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that, but that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. Hello, they had the produce of Kenya. I think I'm about to get dramatic. You know all this. God will take you to your promised land, to a Canaan, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you know what that land flowing with milk and honey means? Walk. When they were in the wilderness, it was free food, free with us. Just even though they didn't share with us with ten years, free with us, free meat. When they enter Canaan, walk. Is this one that they are, they, they are serving them English breakfast in the morning and they are having um, um, suya in the evening? When they ate the, the fruit of Canaan, 
And do you need to see what the Bible says the fruit of Canaan is? Did you see when you hear the fruit of the land? Do you, do you, is, is that, is that, what, what is it? Bread, roasted grain. Do you know how do you, do you know the do you know the work, the process to make bread? Did you say did you say roasted grain? So they roasted the grain. They harvested the grain, they will process it and roast it. So when people tell you, God will take you to a land of promise. A promised land is a land of work. Because God did not create us to live for miracles. Those guys went in the for many years. Bread every day. Suya every night. But when they got to the promised land, it is called work. So God did not create us. I repeat, God did not create us to live from miracle to miracles, except there is a, there is a crisis. So when believers are looking for miracles, check in the post. They have been deceived. Believers should not be expecting check in the post, except you pay too much tax and HMRC is on your money. You see all this gambling? You put two pounds and they bring you some ridiculous amount of money. You don't even know where they, what they're doing with the money. It's scam. It's, it's, it's a long-time premeditated scam. Now, God, I give an, I've already said this, share this, but I think I want to share it again. I used to be part of this church where, you know, we talk about divine direction a lot, and we don't use our common sense and our brain. But that's, by the way, God has forgiven me of that time. I was not doing anything. Every idea that God gave me, I did not do anything. I'm saying divine direction, divine direction, divine direction. So, so one day, we're in hunger, poverty, phenomenon. So I asked God one question. He answered me. Ah, I felt good. Ah, God answered me. Then I asked him the second one. Guess what he said? He said, that's why I give you a brain. Use it. I feel so embarrassed. I, said, I have not forgotten that date. And I can remember the sofa yeah, I was lying on. I can remember where I was. He said, that's why I have given you a brain. Use it. God demands we use our brain. God demands that we work. God did not demand that we should live from miracle to miracle. You saw the example. God was the one providing these guys waffles in the morning and suya at night. And the day they got to the land and they ate of the land, they ate the fruit of the land by work. That day, man assisted. So if anybody is giving some kind of funny promises, something will happen supernatural. This week is a unique of blessing. How will the blessing come? This week, God is opening a new door. This week, how will it come? I tell you, 100% of the time, they will come by work. I've been hard at work now. I'm, I'm planning to go back to work. I've been fixing my CV. Even in my sleep, I'm thinking of what needs to go into my CV. What skills that I need to learn so that I can maintain a, a, a certain pay, pay, pay band. And I even step it up. So God, is, God has blessed me. But to enter into that blessing, in a sense, to receive it, I got to work. Breakthrough, this all of them going for all those breakthrough meetings. How many breakthroughs have they seen in their life? You know how many breakthrough meetings I've been to in my life? Covenant day of breakthrough. I was rather poor. There was no breakthrough. There was breaking. Devourers were breaking in, eating my money. I was poor. You know, I was so poor that people in church knew I was poor and they were giving me, blessing me with. Jacket, suit jacket. Because they can tell that the, the, suit, the suit jacket has, has changed color. 
Whereas I was one who was stupid, not using my brain. Talented guy, full of potential, not using his common sense. Because we're waiting for divine direction. Breakthrough, a breakthrough. Come and give special offering. I was given 20% tight, nothing. I was given 20. I was doing a cleaning job. Given 20% tight. I was homeless. I could not even afford, many times I could not afford it, two pounds for lunch. Waiting for a breakthrough. Amen. So God, God, God is a God of miracle. Miracles are required in the time of crisis that are not avoidable, that cannot be avoided. But to seek a miracle, or to believe in a miracle, or to be a miracle Christian life, or we trust in God for miracle, is to be deceived. Like, let me start calling out a few things here. So I was, I was going to start talking about the downside of living a miracle-centered Christian life. The downside of living a miracle-centered uh, Christian life. I'm talking about a Christian life that's so focused on miracles, miracles, miracles. Some people, if miracles are not happening in a particular church, they will not show. Some people, if people are not falling down and dying, they will not go to church. I think we need to begin to remind ourselves what church really means. Because you can be in a large congregation and be so dead and be wine and dining with demons. And you can be in a house House fellowship. House fellowship of four people. Just fellowship of four people. And experience the power, the freshness, the peace of God. You know, this was back in the day, someone like me, you know, the way we started, okay, well, we kind of really, really kind of went live in June, you know, phase two. I get to me. Pastors like me, they are depressed. That they've, they've paid nearly 2,600 pounds on rent. And um, they only have maybe four people coming into the facility. And every Sunday, they have to pack instruments and stuff. Many pastors like me are depressed. I mean, oh, I mean, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. Because most of the time, people come in, they join, they say, oh, they are very small, they are small in numbers. Uh, no, when they are plenty will come. And they'll be watching. So when your numbers hit 50, 100, they're not coming. Nonsense. Then I'll have security guards to send some people away, not to allow them in. Amen. Well, I'm joking, but um, I'm going to be strict to some extent. So when people don't understand what church really is, I don't know why I'm saying some, a few things I'm touching on this morning, and I know it's about the spirit. But not what church really is, People are being deprived. People are just sloppy. People are just... But when they, when they see small screen, you know, young people will be surprised in TTC because a lot of things that they get from many other churches are there. I'm not going to give them. You see those small screen? Those things, those effigy things, those effects things that people get? I'm not going to send... I'm not sending young people away, but I want to retain young people by the power of the gospel. I repeat, by the power of the gospel not by effect and fickle and fake things. So parents, you're going to work with the young people that they start learning to understand reality and work with reality. I'm free to say this here. Many of us, we know that we're black, you know, we're in the black community. This is where I will not, um, I'm tr- I was struggling. So can I share this online? I guess many of us know, we, most of us in black community, and to some extent we understand that the, the, the troubles we have in a society where people of black community are, you know, not intentional, not intentionally in, on the side of 
some other races, they kind of see them inferior. So I'm a pastor, who pastor, most of my church members are black people. I have to be aware of certain things that are stacked against them and help my young people prepare them for the resistance they will face in the workplace and other places. Does that mean I'm racist? No. It's, it's called being aware of the situation that surrounds my people. So if I know, like I have experienced many times, nearly in every place I've worked, I have been discriminated against racially. And yes, I still don't hold against them. In, in every way I've worked, I've had to deal with the racism issue. So seeing the young people in my church and not preparing them, training them to be strong, bold, and courageous to do what God has called them to do, but trying to make them feel like in church and make them come and do dumb and stupid things will be to be unintelligent as a pastor. A, black, a pastor who is black. <laughs> Amen. You know, when we talk about things like this, it start getting sensitive and some people begin to feel uncomfortable. I'm not being racist. I have a lot of white friends and I, and I love my white friends, but outside of the Christian community, even we have some problems in the Christian community, we do come across resistance because of our skin color. So it may seem like, you know, pastor is not being, he's not doing something cool. I'm not doing something cool because I know the challenges that are ahead of you in the next three, four, five years. And I better give you the gospel that you need and the training you need to face the reality of life. As opposed to you come to church for four, five years, you do something cool. Ah, church was fun. Church was cool. Yeah, cool, 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 cool. You get out and the demons in the, in the form of people with other, in other colors begin to stack up against you like, oh, Lord, pastor, I need prayer. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm not giving room to that. Amen. So talking about downsides to a miracle-centered Christian life, the first thing I want us to understand is this. Miracles can be performed by forces that are, that are not of God. Miracles can be performed by forces that are not of God. Don't forget that I was saying that, don't forget our definition of miracle, the supernatural, stepping into the natural, something that cannot be proven scientifically. There are many sicknesses and diseases in the life of many people today that science could not even explain it. They can't explain it, but they will give it a name and a medication. Maybe hallucination. You know, I once read a case of a guy because I used to work in, um, I work, I worked in some areas and I've been privileged to have access to certain information. Um, right. So I was, I was, I was kind of involved in a case where this guy, you know, do see an entity come into the room through the wall and kind of beat him up or something along, along those lines. And um, the doctors were going to give it the name that it's been hallucinating. But I'm thinking, he's seen demons. I guess, and in the Christian side, in the, in the Christian side of things, where I have more authority to speak into people's lives, I've had Christians see the same thing. Who my trained in the word of God, in the word of God, to deal with those demons, and when those things came back to them. They stood up in the word of God and sent those demons out of their room. So whatever 
And when I say miracle here, I'm just I'm not looking at it only from I'm not looking at it from a positive angle. I'm talking about any occurrence in the natural that cannot be scientifically explained. Somebody woke up in the middle of the night and something happened to them, you know, to their, to, to their physical body. You can't trace it. It's not that they had too much sugar or something, but something happened. Um, these are kind of negative miracles. I'll put it out this way. I get to it because um, people who operate by sorcery, you know, some of their clients want a miracle, a miracle to happen to their enemy or to someone. They have diabolic and demonic stuff, right? And they've still put it that they want, they will not call it a miracle, but when something does happen, an evil thing does happen to someone they want it to happen to, when they go back to their sorcerer, uh, a miracle happened. This happened to this person. They couldn't come to work anymore and stuff like that. It's kind of context I'm talking about. So I'm just trying to use this point to help us understand that. Miraculous things that happen, things that are beyond the ordinary that happen, they are not only caused by the power of God. Let's bear that in mind. So I have about four points to, to explain to us and a few other things. So next thing, by God's grace, I'll be focusing on these downsides of living a miracle-centered Christian life, right? Um, if anything, hold on to this. When we, God does not want you to live your life dependent on a miracle. I give an example in the book of Joshua, chapter 5, verse 10 to 12, that the children of Israel, when they got to the promised land, which many Christians claim and hold on to those things, when they entered that land, the supernatural flow, thank you, Holy Spirit, of food, you know, was cut off. And that's also tell us that, I don't know what's going on in your life right now, that might be miraculous. It's what I'm, what's, the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you that it's not going to be like that for heaven. Because the miraculous is not the order in which God wants you to live your life. I'm going to come to a point where I'm going to tell us more about the supernatural because the supernatural is a realm of the believer and the believer should live in the realm of in the supernatural realm. I'll, 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 I'll um, shed more light on that next week. So there's a place of the supernatural. But in this, in this world whereby we are looking around for the supernatural to come in and change things for us is not God's order. It's not God's way of working. It is not, it's not God's order in the sense in the sense of that's not how God wants us to build our life. God, God does not want us to build our life and miracles. But I'll come and talk about the supernatural whereby the believer is meant to walk by faith. The believer should not see before they believe. The believer should believe and they see. So when a believer sees a miracle, they should not be surprised to a very much extent. Right, so I'll try to you know, marry both of them together next week to balance it so that when we see miracles in our lives, it's just normal because we live in the supernatural. But God does not want us to be looking for something to come from somewhere and like, ah, it has happened. No, if you, anyone who is on a, in a miraculous job, maybe a job they did not qualify for, that's another version. You know, a job you do not qualify, a promotion you do not qualify for. So when you get that job you do not qualify for, you better go and take trainings to be able to live up to the expectation of that role. Else they will fire you. It's simple. We can get a job by a supernatural. Something may happen. And it gets us to have a job, you know, with big pay and stuff like that. 
But I'll tell you the truth. Because, <laughs> okay, 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 I'm trying to be nice. So if a person gets a miracle job, it's, it's not a miracle job. It's, it's beyond the ordinary. It's beyond the normal order. It does not make sense. So a person who is a clerk and got a job as a COO, they better go on training because that, that company is coming down. You know, when people get a job and they go and give testimonial, ah, God promoted me. A clerk who does not know how to manage operations of the business, does not know how to manage people, does not know how to do finances and many things, they now go and celebrate and testify. They think they will only go to, they only go to work and miracle will happen and they will get paid at the end of the month. They will get fired. That's why many of them cannot come back and tell you anything more because they have been fired or demoted. Am I making any sense? So God is calling us to a place of responsibility, a place whereby our head is working and we're using our head. Miracles are needed in the time of crisis, something that's unavoidable, that we couldn't have avoided it. And God in his mercy, sometimes because of our carelessness, our, yeah, our carelessness and you know, all kind of stuff, you know, we do need a miracle. But that's not should be the order of things because, okay, let me not get into next week's teaching. Right. I'll pause there. Right. So that's number one. In the realm of the spirit, the forces existing there are not just the forces of God. Demons can do miracles. You know, take your time to read the book of Exodus. The Bible tells us that the miracles that Aaron did and Moses did, the magicians and the sorcerers did the same thing. Maybe we'll, talk, we'll touch on a few of them next week. The miracles. Aaron threw his rod on the floor and it became snake. The magicians too, they threw their rod on the floor. It turned to snake. But the beautiful thing is that Aaron's rod, snake, swallowed the rest of those ones. Amen. I can already pause. I don't stop. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray.